Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mark is Up with Jack Johnston, a JBSE podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode today, um, whether it's through the JBSE um, podcasts or if you found this on Twitter. Um, regardless, very happy to have you here. Uh, just going to briefly introduce myself and sort of what this podcast is. Um, so my name's Jack Johnson. I've been watching footy pretty much all my life. I'm a rabid Western Bulldog supporter, so I'll just be up front from the beginning. There will be a bias in this podcast, um, but better to be honest about that. And also, everyone has a bias. If you watch footy, you have a team, and you're going to be biased towards that team. Um, so while I'll be doing all sorts of AFL content, the dogs are my team. Um, and so, yeah, I've been watching footy pretty much all my life and over the last few years been doing a bunch of different sports content um, and creating it and being a part of it, whether that's guesting on other people's podcasts, whether that's starting other audio content, um, writing, doing, you know, nonfiction, writing and articles. Uh, I've kind of experimented with a few different things. And then before this AFL season, I thought, why don't I just start my own footy podcast? Uh, but I wanted to do something a bit different. There's a lot of footy podcasts out there because there's a lot of podcasts out there, um, and a lot of them fit into this lane. And this lane, by the way, is great. I love it. I love. I, I watch and listen to these podcasts all the time. But the lane is very much top eight predictions, season previews, uh, game recaps. They're great. I love them, and they serve their purpose. But I was like, I don't know if I want to just add another podcast into that realm. I wanted to try something different. And, and the lane that I've noticed, especially in this sport, I think it's it's a little more, um, I don't know if it's necessarily this way with other sports, but I definitely think with the AFL, the lane of analysis and deconstructions and investigations, it's not very occupied when it comes to the AFL. Um, and the kinds of podcasts and shows that do focus on that, they're sort of the more corporate stuff. It's your Fox footy, um, Channel 7. It's it's these sort of big media companies that have the resources to do it. Uh, but when it comes to, like, independent creators, I'm sure there are those podcasts and, and shows and YouTube channels out there, and if there are, I'd love to get in contact but the, the amount is nowhere near as large as that sort of cohort is when it comes to the NFL or um, soccer or all these other sort of sports. Particularly the NFL is one that I've noticed since I watch the NFL a lot. Um, that community of independent analysis is really there. That's not really the case for the AFL. So that's something I really want to focus on with this podcast. It's, yeah, analysis, deconstructions, investigations, breaking down plays, um, coaching tactics, players, situational football, um, and providing that through an independent lens um, and through the lens of a fan. Like, I love to analyze football, but at my heart, I'm I'm a fan. That's, that's the kind of stuff that I – that's how I see football. It's still through that lens. So it's, it's seeing it through both lenses, I guess. Um, and while – if you're listening to this on Spotify or on um, – you know, uh, some kind of audio platform. Um, there is a YouTube channel where I'll be doing video content as well, whether that's um, uh, video content to go along with 
the the audio podcast to kind of just fill in the gaps or even specifically video um, analysis stuff like breaking down plays that really will need more of a video um, element uh, than, than audio. And so I'm going to try and do a bit of both. Um, so make sure if you're just watching on YouTube, there are going to be audio options of what you're seeing on YouTube and vice versa. If you're listening to the podcast um, in audio form, check out the YouTube channel because um, there will be a lot of extra video stuff on there that you just won't really get. Um, and this episode today um, is an example of one of them. Um, and so however you like to consume your content, both options are there for you, depending on what you like to consume. Uh, so let's kind of get stuck into it. That's a lot of, um, you know, waffle beforehand. Um, but before we do, you can follow Markers Up on all social media at Markers Up. Um, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all the social medias you can think of, um, that's where we'll be. Um, and you can follow the JBSC, the Jake Botel Sports Experience, at the JBSC. Um, if it wasn't for um, Jake and his sort of podcasts, podcast podcast. Um, uh, prowess and and um, experience and his platform that he's built, um, this podcast wouldn't be here. And so much, much thanks to him. Um, and if you haven't listened to his podcasts, some of them I guest on, some of them I don't, they're all great. Um, and there's going to be more content coming in the future, that's for sure. Okay. So here we, here we are. So what I wanted to focus on with this first episode is particularly a player and I'm going to talk about this player and it's going to bleed into a broader discussion on a bunch of players and a particular type of player. Um, this podcast is sort of going to go in a bunch of different directions um, but we're going to start with one player and this player is Marcus Bontempelli. He's the captain of the Western Bulldogs in my opinion, he's the best player I've ever seen. Um, it's a very subjective opinion. And like I said, there's a bit of bias there too. But I think what he's done as a captain, as a leader, as well as a player on the field, uh, it's if he's not the best, he's definitely in that elite crop for me. Um, and I was having to think back on, well, firstly, I was having to think about that, exactly that. I was thinking, okay, to me, he's great. To me, he's like one of the greatest players I've ever seen does he sort of rank that way when you look at stats and accomplishments? Because a lot of people have him in like, you know, top five players currently playing, which is totally fair, but not a lot of people are sort of putting him in that real upper echelon of best players of the past 20 years. He hasn't quite broken into that area yet. And I was sort of wondering why, is it just the bias? Um, and so I wanted to look into one year in particular, and that year is 2021. Because I think if 2021, for not just the Bulldogs, but specifically Marcus Bontepelli, had changed ever so slightly, I think he'd be in that conversation. And the reality is he's not, which will, and the reasons why we'll get into, but it's, <laughs> it's simultaneously torturous as a Bulldog supporter, but also very fascinating how... With just, I mean, small changes to his story, I think would have vastly impacted his legacy um, and the way we sort of view him now. And he's got a bunch of time left in his career, and he has a lot of time to put himself in that category, and I believe he will. 
but if it was just for a few changes, I think he already would be there. Um, so let's look at his stats. So this is a great example if you're listening online, um, sorry, on uh, you know Spotify or you know to the podcast version. I'll be reading out all these stats to you, but on YouTube, um, you'll be able to actually read all these lovely slides I've created. Um, so this was Bontempelli's 2021 year, his, his season averages as well as his accomplishments. So he averaged 27 disposals, four marks, five tackles. He kicked 31 goals and 19 behinds, had 33 Brownlow votes, had a grand final appearance, won league MVP, and was vice-captain of the All-Australian team. So you look at that, that's a great year. That's a great year. He's missing some things that we'll get to, the, the sort of elephants in the room. But you just look at that and you go, that was a great season. For a midfielder to have to average 27 disposals, kick over 30 goals, and get 33 Brownlow votes, and get to a grand final, and be MVP, and be the vice-captain of the All-Australian team, that's ultra-impressive. But if you've been following football over the last few years, you would know that the Bulldogs' 2021 year could have been very, very different um, in a positive way. So I mentioned made it to a grand final. The Dogs lost that grand final. They were up three goals halfway through the third quarter, ended up losing the game by like 60 points or something. It was a, an amazing run by Melbourne in that final quarter. They would just prove to be the better team. I mentioned Brownlow votes, 33. That's a lot of votes, isn't it? That would win a Brownlow in most years. Well, because of a couple less than ideal games at the end of the season, he lost to Ollie Wines with 36 Brownlow votes, who won the Brownlow medal that year. And obviously, because of how the grand final went, he's not able to add a Norm Smith to this resume that he's got here, which when you watch the back that game, very easily, he had it in his grasp um, and let it slip. And, you know, that's because of a lot of players, but it was, you know, it's him we're talking about. He had it there and just didn't do enough to to overtake it. So let's have a look now at what his year would have been if a few things had changed, all right? And then imagine what you would think of Marcus Bontepelli as a player and where he sort of sits in the the story of modern AFL. So let's just read through them again and just imagine a clean slate, right? This was his 2021 year, imagine. 27 disposals, four marks, five tackles, 31 goals, 19 behinds, 33 Brownlow votes, premiership medal, premiership captain should be mentioned, a Brownlow medal, and a Norm Smith medal, a league MVP, All-Australian vice-captain. He would have had the clean sweep for a midfielder. No midfielders winning the Coleman medal, so obviously you're not winning that, and you're not going to win the Rising Star medal, obviously, because you're not a, not a rookie. So for a midfielder, he would have had the clean sweep. Imagine that. Brownlow, Norm Smith, Premiership medal, Premiership captain, All-Australian vice-captain, league MVP. 31 goals, 27 disposal average, four marks, five tackles. It would be one of the greatest home and away seasons or entire seasons, including finals, we would have ever seen. 
Very few players have done that. I'm going to talk about a player who has, but very few. And you just wonder, because I'm not talking about, well, just imagine if they were great, then they would have been great. I'm talking about small margins here. Three votes, he was behind Ollie Wines. That's one good game away. You know, three votes from tying. So if Bontebelli just had one more great game, or a couple more good games, or if Ollie Wines had one less great game, or a couple less good games, which in the scheme of the AFL and the line between playing great and playing poorly, like, it's very possible. Look at the premiership. They were up by three goals. This wasn't a game. You look at that score and you go like, wow, the dogs must have just been embarrassed. It was a competitive game for most of the night. And then right at the end, it just slipped through and Melbourne was able to run away with it. And credit to them. Credit to Melbourne. But just imagine if the dogs were able to hold on there. Bontempelli, at the end of that game, when basically no Bulldogs had any disposals in the final quarter, I think he had 25 disposals and three goals. And his third goal was the one that like put them ahead and gave them their biggest lead. Everyone was riding on Bontepelli, like, ah, oh, he's got the Norm Smith now. Really felt it. Imagine if the dogs were able to continue with that momentum and Melbourne didn't find this extra gear. He might have finished with 30 and four. Might have had 35 disposals, who knows? 25 disposals and three goals is enough to win a Norm Smith, you know? But he probably would have had even more if that premiership went, if that grand final went a different way. And then you, so he'd have the premiership medal, he'd have the Brownlow, and in my estimations, unless someone jumped out the gates in that third quarter, he probably probably was on track to win the Norm Smith. So just to reiterate, his season could have been averaging 27 disposals, four marks and five tackles, kicked 31 goals and 19 behinds. That's 50 scoring shots. Hit the scoreboard 50 times for a midfielder. Brownlow medal, Norm Smith medal, premiership medal as a captain, league MVP, All-Australian vice-captain. Clean sweep. Um, It's just interesting to look back at what could have been. Like I said, I think there's a a lot of time left in his career. He's 27. I would say he's in his prime right now. I think he still has... Well, really, when you think about fitness nowadays and how footy players train and how they condition their bodies, he's probably got another three years before you see any kind of physical decline. You know, back in the day, once you hit 30, you started to think about how long, how much longer can I go? Um, now it's now that's 35. <laughs> 35 now is the age where, okay, you probably need to um, give it up at that point. Some players even go even further. So he's got a lot of time to add a Brownlow, add a Norm Smith, add, add another premiership. Maybe a few, who knows? The sky's the limit for the Bulldogs and there's still a lot of time left before the season starts. We will get into the Dogs and sort of what I think about their their season ahead along with every other team in the league. But it's just interesting to look back and think, man, right now, we could be thinking something so differently of Marcus Bontebelli because I hold him in this really high regard of one of the best players I've ever seen. But... 
right now, I don't think he's quite there for a lot of people, and rightfully so, because he doesn't have these extra accolades that a lot of players do. It's probably a good segue into these, these other players. So me thinking about what could have been in 2021 made me think about, okay, that didn't happen. It's sad, but in reality, he didn't win the Brownlow, didn't win the Premiership, didn't win Norm Smith. Had a great season. Great, great season. His best season. But the reality is, none of those things happened. None of those medals came his way. So as it stands, in his first nine seasons, right, he's played for nine seasons, he's 27 years old, my thought then went to, okay, with how everything stands, in reality, does he match up with the greats? His career's not over, so we can't compare just blankly career by career. You have to go by the greats in their first nine seasons. I was like, I wonder if he compares, even though he hasn't, in 2021, he didn't get all these extra accolades that he was so close to getting. With what he has achieved already, does he compare? That was the question that I had. And it was really fascinating looking into it because, man, it was interesting. So what are the players I picked? Who did I want to compare him to? The obvious one for the greatest of the AFL era, and it should be quickly noted, that's who I'm comparing these players against. I'm not comparing them to VFL-era players. The game was just so different. Um, and it was very lopsided towards Melbourne teams because of how the zoning worked and there's a, there's a whole history behind it. Um, but even more importantly, the game was just so different. A midfielder in 1970 is nothing like a midfielder in 2023. So in the AFL era, who's, who's the best player? Well, for me, it's clearly Gary Ablett Jr. Clearly. It's Gary Ablett Jr. and and uh, a Canyon before the next guy. Even though I said Bontepelli subjectively is the best player I've ever watched. Objectively. If I put away the bias that I have towards the Bulldogs and just the fact that I've watched and grow, sort of grown up with Bontepelli, with how I've watched football, he's been my player. Um, objectively, Gary Ablett Jr. is the best player we've ever seen. Possibly ever but definitely in the AFL era. So he was a no-brainer. But I wanted one more. I was like, okay, I want to compare him to two players. And I wanted a player, similar to how Gary Ablett Jr. is this way, and Bontepelli, I wanted a player who's a midfielder, but is an impact midfielder, which is something we'll get to in the second half of this podcast. But a midfielder who, you know, goes forward, kicks goals, impacts the game, isn't a collector of the football, necessarily, um, although the crazy thing about Gary Ablett is, is he's both. He's a possession collector, accumulator, and an impact midfielder. Um, but in general, Gary Ablett Jr., Marcus Bondapelli, and this next player are all impact midfielders and some of the best. And that final player, to me, is Dustin Martin. And I've really flipped and kind of thought different things about Dustin Martin. At times, I thought he's been the greatest player we've ever seen. And at times, I think he's a bit overrated. Now, going through all this research, his 2017 year is perhaps one of the best years a single player has ever had in the AFL era. But even his career, it has to be up there. It, it, it has the perfect balance of statistical dominance, accomplishments and awards across the board, 
and magic, which I feel like is an important element. Magic. There's, there's a magic to Dustin Martin. There's a magic to Gary Ablett Jr. And in my opinion, there's a magic to Bontepelli and the way he's you know, a smooth mover through traffic and makes things happen and wins games. I think there's a 15-minute video on, on YouTube of just clutch game-winning goals by Bontepelli across his year because uh, across his career because of that's just how much he affects games and he has that magic to him so let's let's compare the three shall we so in their first nine seasons this is Bondapelli, dustin martin and gary ablett jr and when i talk about these players i'm talking about them in their first nine seasons right. so Bontempelli and dustin martin have the same amount of premierships Bontepelli has more grand finals. Doesn't have a Norm Smith or a Brownlow, obviously. Whereas Dustin Martin did have a Norm Smith and a Brownlow in his 2017 year. Same amount of MVPs. Been All-Australian more often by one. And has been a club best and fairest more often. Twice. Twice more often. Than Dustin Martin in their first nine seasons. So the, obviously the glaring difference is the Brownlows and the Norm Smiths, which are perhaps the most important um, accomplishments. But again, interesting to note, the only areas that Dustin Martin has over Bontepelli is the Norm Smith and the Brownlow, which are massive. But when it comes to premierships, grand finals, MVPs, all Australian selections, club best and fairest, they're either even or Bontepelli has the edge. Now let's compare to Gary Ablett Jr., who, like I've said, he's the, he is the the bar, the best player that I've the, the best player objectively that there has been in the AFL era. And hey, if you've got a different opinion, that is awesome. I'd love to hear your justifications for Wayne Carey, Chris Judd, Dane Swan, Adam Goods. Like, would love to hear it. But in my opinion, and also just looking at the stats. Gary Ablett Jr. is the peak. So now let's, now let's compare them in their first nine seasons. So Ablett Jr. has one more premiership with two, has one more grand final with three, has a Brownlow, but doesn't have a Norm Smith. Interestingly, Gary Ablett doesn't have a Norm Smith. It does have the Brownlow, which Bontepelli doesn't have. This is was crazy. Gary Gary Ablett Jr. in his first nine seasons had three league MVPs. It's just crazy. Um, whereas Bontepelli's only had one, so that's two more. They've had the same amount of All-Australian selections. Bontepelli has had two more club best and fairest. So this is where the gaps are really, really widen um, between Bontepelli and, and, and Gary Ablett. There's a couple things that they're kind of even in or that Bontepelli has an edge, like club best and fairest, and all Australians. But for the most part, Ablett still has an extra premiership, an extra grand final, a couple more MVPs, still holds it over. So that's why it's fair, and I won't um, argue with you if you don't put Bontepelli um, up with these guys, even though I still subjectively feel like he belongs there there's no real rational argument for it because we're looking at it. He's close, but he's not quite there. He still has a little while to go. And like I said, he's got probably three plus years of prime Bondapelli left. 
and probably will still be great because that's how good he is into his mid-30s. So he's got a lot of time to put himself up there with these blokes, but he's not quite there yet, which is why 2021 again, going back to that season, could have been so different. Because what if he did win the Brownlow in 2021, did win the Norm Smith, did win the Premiership? Then all of a sudden, Bontempelli starts to starts to knock on the door and say, hey, fellas, let me in. So if, this is the, the ultimate reality for Bontempelli, if, if, if Bontempelli was able to finish in 2021, get the extra votes and win the Brownlow, finish and get the Norm Smith and get the Premiership, this would be the comparisons. He'd have twice as many premierships as Dustin Martin. He'd have twice as many grand finals as Dustin Martin. He would have the same amount of Brownlows with one, the same amount of Norm Smiths with one, same amount of MVPs with one. He'd have an extra All-Australian selection, and he'd have two more club best and Ferris. So we'll get to statistics, right, which is the another element of this. But if we're just looking at accomplishments, if 2021 had gone the way that Bontepelli would have wished and he was so close, by accomplishments alone, you'd have to say that Bontepelli would have outshined Dustin Martin at the same point in their career. By quite a large margin. Now let's look to Gary Ablett. Where do they compare? Well, same amount of premierships as Gary Ablett Jr., only one less grand final. Same amount of Brownlow medals. Bontepelli would actually have a Norm Smith over Gary Ablett Jr. Now, he still would only have one league MVP, whereas Gary Ablett Jr. had three. But then at the same end of all Australian selections, and Bontepelli would have two more club best and fairest. So again, it's a bit torturous as a Bulldog supporter because, man... He was so close, and because I just subjectively think he's – well, objectively, I think he's great, but there's a subjective element where I think he belongs in that category. It's such a shame because he's not. He's not in that category. He's in the category where not quite as many premierships, not quite as many Brownlows, like, but he could have been. He could have been right up there. So we're going to move off Bontepelli here. Um because we'll talk about Pontepelli a lot on this podcast, um, as we will a bunch of other players. Because these three players, as I mentioned, they're not just midfielders. They are impact midfielders. And they're not possession midfielders. Now, I should mention, I should uh, define, what is an impact midfielder? What is a possession midfielder? This is not a stat or a category that the AFL has deemed um, official. But to me, this is what it means. So a possession midfielder is all about see ball, get ball, and get rid of ball. They're all about getting the football, maintaining the football, and, and disposing of the football. That player is necessary. Think of some of the best midfielders you've watched. Think of some of the, the most important midfielders in your midfield group, whichever team you support. You have to have a possession guy in there. You have to have a guy that's either willing to get dirty and get the football, or you have to have a guy that is smart enough to navigate traffic and get 35, 40 disposals and keep it off the opponent. 
you have to have possession midfielders. This is not a knock against them. As much as the next, you know, 20 minutes might seem like it is, it's not, trust me. They are necessary. Both these midfielder types work in conjunction. So that's a possession midfielder to me. An impact midfielder is a midfielder that creates impact with their disposals and with their actions. So that's goals, behinds, scores, right? That's disposal efficiency, right? They're not just disposing of the ball. How well are they disposing of the ball? Inside 50s, how many of their kicks are going into the scoring zone? Um, and I'll get into a bunch of the other stats, but you can kind of get what I'm saying. One player is all about getting the ball and maintaining the ball and distributing the ball. The other is about doing something impactful with the ball. In a way, a lot of the stats, not all, but a lot of the possession stats that I'm about to talk about, they're neutral. They're neither good nor bad. They're only good if you do them good, and then they're bad if you do them bad. Whereas impact midfield stats generally, again, there are exceptions, but generally are positive. They're actually good stats. If you have more of these stats, it's a linear thing. The, the better you are as a midfielder. Um, just a quick example before we get into some some players I'm about to talk about. Uh, a clearance. A clearance, in a way, is kind of a positive stat, but not really when you think about it. Yes, it's great because you are, you're clearing the ball in your direction and getting it out of congestion, but a clearance can be good or bad. It can be good if you create a clearance and it goes inside 50 and creates a goal, but it could also be bad if you clear it and you kick it to a defender and it gets rebounded and a goal goes against you. Whereas an impact stat like a goal can only be good. Can only be good. Right? Disposal efficiency. Being an efficient disposer of the football isn't bad. It, there's no negative um, attachment to it. It can only be a positive stat. So they're the sort of two differences. And I bring them up, not just because Bontepelli, Dustin Martin, Gary Ablett Jr. were impact midfielders, in my opinion, who all sort of sort of shared their own time in the forward line, but mostly with midfielders. I wanted to point out, and this kind of connects as well to Bontepelli missing out on the Brownlow in 2021 to a player called Ollie Wines. I feel like the Brownlow medal, think of it this way. For the last probably 10, 15 years, maybe 20 years even, the Brownlow medal has basically become a midfielder's medal. And people have argued about that and fought about it and complained about it for, yeah, 10, 15, 20 years. That's not a controversial take to say, oh, the Brownlow medal is basically a midfielder's award because it is. <laughs> the midfielders have won it year after year after year. I can't remember the last, maybe Adam Goods was the last Brownlow medal winner who wasn't a midfielder, but he was kind of both. He was a bit of a utility. Um, it's been a midfielder's award for a long time. Not a controversial thing to say. But I would argue that over the last five years, it, the, the range of acceptable winners, according to the umpires, because they're the ones who give out the votes, has shrunk even smaller. So now I don't think it's even just a midfielder's award. I think it's a possession midfielders award. And I'm not saying that there's some conspiracy going on or that 
impact midfielders never win the Brownlows. Know what I'm saying? But there's been a, an interesting, and in my opinion, concerning trend with how often possession midfielders have been rewarded, both with Brownlow medals as well as just general media praise, over impact midfielders in a sort of unfair balance. Because like I said, I think those two players, player types, work together to create a great midfield. But when you when you watch, you know, news reports or analysis on football, or you read articles, or if you look at Brownlow medal winners, you would think that possession midfielders are the most important and are the best kind of midfielder. But I feel like it's 50-50. I feel like both are just as important as each other. And the fact that I don't see that reflected in the media and in the Brownlow medal, to me, is concerning. Um not in a real-life sense, it's not that concerning, but in a football sense, it's a little concerning. Um, so we're going to have a look at the last five years of Brownlow medal winners, okay? Um, I'm going to go ahead and look at Patrick Cripps in 2022, okay? I've listed some stats that, to me, are impact stats, and... I've listed some stats for the possession stats to me. Um, and for those listening on the podcast, these are the stats. So goals, effective disposals, score involvements, tackles, inside 50s, and goal assists are all impact stats. They're positive, impactful towards the scoreboard stats directly. Then I've got possession stats. Disposals, handballs, kicks, clearances, and contested possessions. They're all possession stats to me. They are neither positive nor negative, um, and they're to do with either getting the ball, maintaining the ball, or getting rid of the ball. Patrick Cripps' 2022 year. Kicked 20 goals, which ranked him sixth for midfielders. He was ranked 17th for effective disposals, ranked 17th for score involvements, ranked 29th for tackles, ranked 28th for inside 50s, and ranked 92nd for goal assists. Just as a quick warning, this is going to be a very number-heavy um, segment, uh, but trust me, it's worth it if you just stick with it. Um, it's really going to be interesting to compare these players. So they're all the impact stats. So didn't rank top five, which to me is elite, right? If you rank top, top five in a stat, you're elite for that stat. Didn't rank top five in any impact stat. Ranked top 25 in four of them ranked outside the top 25 in three. All right. Now let's look at his possession stats. So he ranked 22nd for disposals. So not great. Fifth for handballs, 134th for kicks. So that really set him back, but then third for clearances and fourth for contested possessions. So he ranked top five in three of the five possession stats, top 25 for disposals, yeah, his kicks were way off, which is not really the player he is. So very clearly, didn't rank very highly in any of the most important impact stats, but ranked really highly in a lot of possession stats. And just for sort of context, who are the sort of guys in that year that were impact midfielders, right, that really were impacting the game? These are the midfielders who ranked top five in at least four of those impact categories. So top five. Bontepelli, Petrarca, Warner, Neil, and Oliver. 
Now, Bontepelli, Petrarca, and Warner, right off the bat, strike me as impact midfielders. That's who they are. Makes perfect sense that they'll be ranking top five in a bunch of impact categories. Lockie Neal, as we're about to get into very soon, is a sneakily great impact player as a guy that I've thought of as not so much. Same with Oliver. Um, they're, they're actually impact players when you look at the stats. Maybe not so much as Bontepelli and Petrarca and these guys, but they're more so than Patrick Cripps, who was the Brownlow medal winner that year. So then we move on. 2021, Ollie Wines. Kicked 10 goals for the year, which ranked him 57th for midfielders. He was ranked 6th for, for effective disposals, 12th for score involvements, 25th for tackles, 8th for inside 50s, and 47th for goal assists. So ranked top 5 in zilch. No impact stats. Ranked top 25 in 3. And ranked outside the top 25 in another three. Particularly the goals. When I'm ranking them, just to be clear, in case it's not clear already, the rest of the stats are just the stats because they're all sort of midfielder skewed anyway. But the goals I've actually filtered out non-midfielders. So there were 56 midfielders who kicked more goals or the same amount of goals as Ollie Wines, the 2021 Brownlow winner. Then we look at his possession stats. Third for disposals, fourth for handballs, 22nd for kicks, 13th for clearances, and second for contested possessions. Three top five stats and two top 25 stats. Bontepelli, uh, Jack McRae, and Dane Zorko all ranked top five in four or more impact categories that year. Again, not saying that those guys should have won the Brownlow, although I would argue Bontepelli that year should have. I'm not saying that these guys that are ranking top five in the impact categories should therefore win the Brownlow just for a bit of context of, okay, well, if Ollie Wines is the possession winning midfielder, right? Who's the impact players that he would be compared to. And if you think back to those years, you could argue that they were better. You can make an argument at least. Um, 2020. So Lockie Neal, this is where you learn something when you're doing the research I had a vision of who I thought Lockie Neal was. I thought he was just the guy who loves to collect big numbers but doesn't really do anything. To his credit, he surprised me. Credit to Lockie Neal. Um, he's still, as I'm about to explain, a possession midfielder, but he's a far more impactful midfielder than I ever gave him credit for. So I'm happy to eat my humble pie there. So he kicked four, 14 goals in 2020, which ranked him sixth for midfielders. He was first for effective disposals, 5th for score involvements, 49th for tackles, 3rd for inside 50s, and 270th for goal assists. So he ranked top 5 in 3 impact stats. For He was the most effective disposer of the football, had the 5th most score involvements, and the 3rd most inside 50s, which are all impact stats. But what sort of... He's sort of a bit patchy when it comes to the impact stats because he only kicked 14 goals, to be fair, in the COVID year but ranked 49th for tackles, so not much of a pressure player, and 270th for goal assists. I think he only had two goal assists for the year, um, which for a midfielder, and again, an impact midfielder, um, is really low. But this is where you go, oh, he's still clearly a possession midfielder because ranked first for disposals, second for handballs, 12th for kicks, second for clearances, and first for contested possessions. So ranked top five in four of the five categories and was ranked 12th for the, the fifth. Who were ranking top five in four more impact categories that year? 
Dustin Martin and Patrick Dangerfield. No surprise that they went to the grand final that year, both those players. Um, I thought for a second when I was doing these stats, I was like, ah, oh, it kind of seems like these impact midfielders are making more grand finals than the Brownlow medal winners, but it's not really that consistent. It would help the argument I'm making, but it's technically not true. It's a bit, it's a bit patchy. Now we move to Nat Fife. This blew my mind, ladies and gentlemen. This blew my mind. I'd have to look back at his season because maybe it's one of those seasons where it's not really on the stat sheet. It's all about the intangibles. But you look at his stats, and he's neither. <laughs> he definitely leans more possession, but, man, his stats really surprised me. So Nat Fife in 2019. If you're looking at the video, you can already see straight away that, man, he really has taken a step down compared to the last few Brownlow medal winners. So here we go. Kicked 16 goals, which ranked him 18th for midfielders. 32nd for effective disposals. 54th for score involvements. 79th for tackles. 27th for inside 50s. And 59th for goal assists. So had no top five impact stats. Ranked top 25 in one. And the rest of the impact stats, he was outside. Way. We're talking 54th, 79th, 59th. Like way out there. So that would mean like, okay, according to the stats, he's not really impacting the game with the impact stats I'm talking about. But even the possession stats, crazy. So this is, again, just to repeat, <laughs> this is the 2019 Brownlow medal winner, Nat Fife, the best and fairest player of the year. Had all those stats I just talked about. But he was also ranked 29th for possession, uh, for disposal, sorry. 13th for handballs. 75th for kicks, 6th for clearances, and 3rd for contested possessions. So the only stat he ranked top 5 in was contested possessions. Clearances is close because it's 6th. I mean, that's basically top 5, but technically not. So way more inconsistent. Who were the midfielders who were really ranking in those impact categories that year? Gary Ablett Jr., Patrick Dangerfield, Marcus Bontepelli, Dustin Martin, and Dane Zorko. Another guy who's in doing this research who's been sneakily good is Dane Zorko. I don't know. I don't think he shows up again in these um, top fives for the impact, but just in doing my research, he's quite often in the running. So credit to, credit to Dane Zorko. Doesn't seem like a really nice bloke <laughs> with all the sledging, but um, credit to him. He's been quite consistent over the years. Now, final year we're going to look at before we kind of move on to a little bit more just general chat about this topic. Tom Mitchell, another guy that I think of as, oh, he's a possession midfielder. He just gets numbers. He just wants the ball. He doesn't really do anything with it. Similar to Lockie Neal, although probably not as much of an impact player as Neal, but similar in how he surprised me. So he kicked 13 goals that year, which ranked him 33rd for midfielders, but he did rank first for effective disposals, 23rd for score involvements, fifth for tackles, third for inside 50s, and 72nd for goal assists. So ranked top five in three of those impact stats, credit to him. But it's the other stats where he doesn't rank top five, where he doesn't even rank top 25, where he's nowhere near. Oh, sorry, I should say ranked top 25 once um, with score involvement, but still like way out there. Um, but this is where you're like, this is how he won the Brownlow was because of these possession stats. Ranked first for disposals, second for handballs, sixth for kicks, first for clearances, and second for contested possessions. That is dominant. Like, great season. 
but talking about impact players versus position players, he's a possession player. Again, um, the midfielders who were ranking top five in those impact categories are guys like Dustin Martin and Clayton Oliver. Surprised that Clayton Oliver was ranking this high in 2018. I forgot that that Melbourne team got to the prelim that year. Um, we kind of forget about that, given that we think about their 2021 year so much. Um, they got really close in, in 18. So those are those five guys. Now, as you would have heard or as you would have seen, not all of them were the same. Some guys were kind of leaning impact. Some guys definitely didn't lean in impact. Some guys were a bit of both. Some guys like Nat Five were none and surprisingly still won. But there is one consistent thread. If there's one thing that's consistent about all five of these players, besides the fact that they're all Brownlow medal winners, is that they all skew possession. Not a single one is more of an impact midfielder than a possession midfielder. They, they all rank higher in more possession stats than they do in impact stats, every single one. Now, if you go previous to 2018, it's a little more 50-50 between your impact and possession midfielders. You know, Dustin Martin won the year before. Um, you've got guys beforehand that are kind of flipping back and forth. If you go back a little further, Adam Goods, right? Chris Judd. There are, when you go pre-2018, it's a little more kind of even than what you would expect, even though the Brownlow medal should be for any player, not just midfielders, but at least it was for any kind of midfielder. You could be a goal kicker. You could be a contested possession player. You could be clean. You could be dirty. Didn't really matter. But if you're looking at the last few years, from Tom Mitchell in 2018 onwards, year after year after year after year after year, they've been possession midfielders. And maybe it's just a coincidence. And they all were, just happened to be the best again, midfielders, of the year. That could very well be true, but it's a little bit suspect to me, um, especially when you look at a year like Bontepelli in 21, where I think if you ask anyone in their right mind, and this is why he won the MVP, which is a season overall um, award as opposed to game by game, Bontepelli had the better year. Had the better year by far. Kicked three times as many goals as Holly Wines. Yes, he averaged less disposals, but as we'll get to, it's weird that that becomes the answer. Well, he had less disposals, as if that's just a gimme, that disposals means you're a better player. It's just odd. And again, just to, to reiterate, possession players are great. You need possession midfielders. Them getting recognition is not a bad thing. It's not. They're great. They're some of the best players I love to watch are possession midfielders. But the fact that both over the last year in Brownlow voting, but just in general media coverage, players, sorry, um, yeah, players that are possession midfielders get far more credit than the impact midfielders. And if you are an impact midfielder getting credit, it's because you're amazing, right? It's because you're Dustin Martins, because you're Bontempelli's, because you're Dangerfield. You're these like, elite of the elite. But if you're an impact midfielder who doesn't quite get as many goals or doesn't quite get as many disposals, but you're right about there, you're not in the conversation. You're not. Whereas if you're getting a bunch of disposals but doing nothing with it, I feel like 
the media just loves to talk all about it and say, oh, this player's up and coming. He's getting these touches and these touches. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's a little out of whack. Um, a way that I would put it is that I think it's harder for an impact midfielder to get the attention of an umpire or of a news reporter or even fans sometimes than for a possession midfielder. If you have 35 disposals, your possession midfielder, you're getting, let's say, 38 disposals and you're a possession midfielder and you have another guy who only has 25 disposals, in most people's eyes, he probably has to kick two goals to be even with the guy that got 38 disposals, right? Got a guy, let's say most of their stats are mostly the same. Um, just to make it this hypothetical easier to understand. Let's say they're mostly even on most of the stats, but where they differentiate is player A has 38 disposals, player B has 25. Player A has zero goals. How many goals does player B have to kick before he is seen as having as good of a game as player A? Is it one goal? Probably not, right? 25 disposals and one goal, is that better than 38 disposals and zero goals? Probably not, right? Because we, we we disposals are held in such high regard. So what is it, two goals? Getting closer, although I've seen games where a guy gets 38, 40 disposals and all of a sudden, man, that, that it's all we're talking about. But if you get, you know, in your low 20s and a couple goals, it's not seen as the same. So at a minimum, it's two goals, but probably three to receive the same amount of attention as 13 disposals. So the question is, and maybe this is an agree to disagree if you're listening. What's harder as a midfielder, especially in this day and age with how midfields operate? What's easier? To kick two goals, again, not as a forward, as a midfielder, or get 13 extra disposals? I'm not saying getting 13 disposals, getting 13 extra disposals is easy or that it's much easier than two goals. But in my estimation, if you're a midfielder in a good midfield, getting an extra 13 disposal, I think, is an easier task, especially as with how the game is operating, than kicking two goals. Because you can get three or four disposals in one chain of play yeah at the halfback flank you get a mark you kick to a guy on the wing you move further up he kicks back to you you handball to a guy on your right that's two disposals already already <laughs> kicks inside 50 it spills you pick it up handball to the next guy that's three maybe he gets it back to you you kick it to a full forward and they kick a goal that's four disposals very important disposals i should say but it's still four disposals, right? Or we've seen even less important disposals by players where like they just play ring around the rosy on the wing and it's like, oh, you'll pass to me, I'll pass to you, pass to me. I feel like getting a couple across a game, getting an extra two, three, four disposals over the average, it's not easy. But I think it's a it's more achievable for the average midfielder in the game today than it would be to get inside 50 and most likely on the run because midfielders don't often kick set shots on the run 
kicking two goals. That's kind of my view. And there's a lot of different ways to compare impact and possession midfielders and, you know, what's harder or whatever. They're both hard to be good. <laughs> um, but that was just one example that came to mind of, yeah, how how we view these two different player archetypes. And I think it's a little, I think it's a little out of whack. Um, and I think we need to reevaluate what's really most important. Is it getting the ball a lot and kicking the ball a lot and handballing it a lot? Or is it kicking goals? Is it involving yourself in scores, setting up scores? Is it directly assisting goals? Is it getting the ball into your attacking zone? Is it tackling players and stopping the opposition's game plan? Are you efficient? Like to me, in my opinion, I would I rate those stats and those traits higher. Um, but in the same way that I learned a lot during this podcast and researching for it, like Lockie Neal and Nat Fife and all that, I will continue to learn. And if you have thoughts you'd love to, to add into this little um, conversation, would love to hear it because it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, and I very well could be wrong. Um, or at least my, my assessment could be, uh, could be misinformed and maybe these possession players I'm talking about actually are impact players. Cause I have just picked a few stats um, who knows, but I'm, I'm curious to learn and I'm curious to keep an eye on it this season and keep an eye on the guys, specifically midfielders who are fulfilling the impact archetype and who's fulfilling the possession archetype and see who's getting the credit. Uh, I think it'll be an interesting thing for me to track. And if you want to track the same, I feel like um, at the very least, it'll be interesting to see it play out. So one last thing before this episode is over. He's just want to talk broadly about, you know, we talked about the Brownlow medal over the last 20 minutes. I want to talk about the awards in general and how not only do I feel like that award is a bit of bit out of whack, the awards in general are out of whack. And I think the AFL needs to have a serious conversation about how they reward their players at the end of the year. How do they do it most fairly? How do they make sure that every position is getting an opportunity to be recognized with a medal? with an award, with a trophy. Because as, as we've said, the Brownlow medal, despite being available to any player to get votes, it's basically a midfielder's award. Um, Coleman medal, it's a forwards award because it's awarded to the player with the most goals, but it's really a key forward award. It's not even the small forwards. And then there's not an award at all for defenders. <laughs> Backmen don't have an award. That's a part of like, the sort of main stretch of awards that are given out at the end of the year. So this is sort of what I would do. If, if I was the CEO, if I was able to control what the AFL does, um, I'd be very nervous because I wouldn't know what I was doing. But if I was able to just give my sort of thoughts on this, this is how I feel like the AFL awards should be structured. So keep the common medal as it is, right? It's awarded to the player with the most goals at the end of the home and away season. Um, it's a good award to keep because it, re it rewards forwards for hitting the scoreboard and also accuracy because it's not whoever scores the most points. It's the most goals, right? Um, it's mostly for key forwards, but as I'll get, there is a category for small forwards to still get recognized as well. Keep the Brownlow medal as it is. You can still give votes to non-midfielders, but if we just as a community, as an industry, can we just say it's a midfielders award? Because that's what it is, right? The main addition I would make is the Scarlet Medal, right? 
Scarlet Medal should be awarded to the player voted as the best defender in the league. Now, this is where it's a bit interesting. By six forwards per team at the end of the home and away season. I feel like this is a different way to award players, but I feel like it would really work because it's players are voted by their peers, right? Which I think is important, but not just any peers. The defenders are voted that the best defender is voted on by the players that are playing against said defenders. I feel like that would, that would make the award more, uh, well, it would make it more interesting, but I think it would be more reflective of how well these players play because if you're a defender, are you really researching that much on other defenders in the league? Maybe maybe for a bit of inspiration, but you're not really keeping an eye on them. You're watching film on the forwards you're going to be playing on. Same with midfielders. Are you really looking at opposition defenders? Again, a little bit, but it's not your main focus. Whereas forwards, every week, they're reviewing film and they're, they're practicing their craft and watching other defenders. And then they're playing these defenders in real life, in games. So I feel like that's what we should do with the defenders medal. It's not just have a defenders medal, but it should be voted by forwards. And I picked six, but it doesn't have to be six. It just made me think of, you know, your six forwards that are inside 50. If it's voted by them, I feel like you get a very reflective and interesting result. And then keep the MVP, the Lee Matthews Trophy. Keep it as it is, but with a we're just reframing it as the most valuable player. This is an issue in every sport, right? It's not an AFL-specific thing, but I think we just need to remind ourselves that this is not the best player of the year award. It's the most valuable player. And that means anyone can win it. You can be a possession midfielder, an impact midfielder, a winger, a ruckman, a defender, a forward, a small forward. If you're the most valuable to your team, whether it's because of the scores you create, the your disposal efficiency, whatever it is, you can win this award. And I, and I think if players, because they're the ones who vote on the MVP award, if they focus on that, I feel like you'll see a bit more of a spread and you'll see, you know... You'll see Kazair Pickett win the MVP one year. You'll you'll see Bailey Dale win the win the MVP one year. Like you, I think you'll see the spread of positional talent that we wish the Brownlow would show, but we just know it's not because midfielders get the most ball, so therefore they attract the most attention to umpires. I don't think that'll ever change with how football is played now. But if you focus the MVP award on not just the best player or most talented, but the most valuable player. Anyone can win. Um, and I think if we had our award structured that way, it would be more reflective of what our sport is um, and every position would get rewarded. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. Um, awesome. I think that's going to be it. I want to go back a little bit because just very quickly, back to Bontepelli because I skipped a few of the stats that I feel like is worth mentioning because we went through the accomplishments of Bontepelli um, comparing to Dustin Martin and Gary Ablett in their first nine seasons. Um, just want to quickly go over their stats as well. Um, so in their first nine seasons, they're pretty even, right? They're pretty, pretty even. Um, Dustin Martin averages way more disposals. He averages 25 disposals um, uh, in his career, right, over those first nine seasons. Bontepelli is closer to 23, 
Gary Ablett, surprisingly, is more like 21 disposals. Um, but I think a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that he played more forward early in his career. But this is the player. You can't take that away from him. That's what his career was. Um, the main difference, and again, if you're watching the uh, YouTube video of this episode, you'll be able to actually see the differences. But the main ones that jump out to me, Bontepelli is a far more defensive player. He averages way more tackles than Martin and Ablett. Um, and even just the intangibles and like one percenters, every year, I swear, definitely the last couple of years, but I swear if you look back every year, Bontepelli leads the league for midfielders in one percenters. He's the one thrown in the spoils, the shepherds, the smothers. This is not a knock at Martin and Ablett because they're so great in the aspects they're great in. It's just worth mentioning that Bontepelli, I don't think gets enough credit for his defensive ability. He runs both ways. He gets back. He helps defend. Um, and this just shows here the fact that he tackles almost an extra couple tackles per um, season. But doesn't have as many goals as Martin, and definitely not as many as Gary Ablett Jr. Because, my God, he was a scoring machine. Um, and goal assists, again, he's kind of slightly behind on everything, Bontebelli. The main jump he makes is in his defensiveness with his tackles. Um, but everywhere else, it's kind of like even or slightly behind Gary Ablett and Dustin Martin, um, which, again, it's why he's so close. He's just not quite there. As much as I want him to be there, he's just not quite there. And one last thing, while I was doing this research, just want to mention how good Dustin Martin's 2017 year was and how great Gary Ablett Jr.'s 09 year was. So Dustin Martin had the clean sweep, won the Brownlow, won the Norm Smith, won a premiership, won the MVP, All-Australian selection. But he averaged 30 disposals. <laughs> averaged, right? Not peak. He averaged 30 disposals and kicked 37 goals. I think it was like 37, 30 behinds, right? And, you know, the, that, the, the average sort of, you know, four or five tackles and marks a game. But most importantly, clean sweep. Brownlow, Norm Smith, Premiership, MVP, All-Australian. Kicked like 37, 38 goals. Um, just one of the best seasons I've seen from an individual player. And then Gary Ablett Jr. Really tough to not put 2010 as his best year when he kicked like 40-odd goals. But... Again, when you talk about accomplishments, it was 09, where he had the clean sweep except for the Norm Smith, but won the Brownlow, won the Premiership, won the MVP, uh, MVP, won All-Australian, kicked 27 goals, averaged 33 disposals. Again, averaged 33 disposals. Just insane. Um, so I talked a lot about Bontepelli in this episode, but I just wanted to mention, not just across their seasons, but specifically those years, Martin and Ablett just unleashed um and they deserve all the credit in the world so that's it thank you so much for listening um and or watching this was just a joy to put together and do all the research and put together the slides and 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 provide this sort of uh, this analysis into a few different things we talked about Bontepelli, we talked about ablett and martin we talked about the brownlow the wards we talked about the last five years of impact and possession midfielders we talked about a lot today um but it was a lot of fun, and thanks so much for taking part and listening um, or watching. Um, like I said, follow the podcast on all the social media at Mark is Up. Um, 
again, thank you so much for listening and watching. If you have any feedback or if you want to see analysis on particular players, games, um, feel free to send it send it my way because there's a lot of time before the season starts. Um, but until then, we'll be back in your feed next week. Hope you enjoy the rest of your night or day whenever you're listening. Yeah, like I said, catch you next week.